Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I'd like to start by honouring the traditional owners of the land where this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Joe and I pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. In this episode, we speak to Jenny Gibbons about her work with Hearts, Charitable Trust Human Equine Alliance Resilience Trauma Support. Jenny works with horses to help people with trauma histories cultivate resilience, peace and mindfulness. She also incorporates aspects of mindfulness, Maori philosophy and a deep love and connection to nature into her work. I'd like to provide a content warning for this episode as Jenny does discuss the family and sexual violence histories of her clients to give context to the therapeutic process. Trauma-informed yoga teachers and mindfulness practitioners will find many parallels as Jenny shares about this important and innovative work. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Jenny. All right, Jenny, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's great to get the chance to speak with you this morning. Perhaps you could start by just describing the work that you do with Hearts. Thanks for having me. It's really lovely. So Hearts is an acronym for Human Equine Alliance Resilience Trauma Support, and we're a charitable trust. So We specialise in working with our herd of horses and helping people with any trauma issues. And the age group range from children who are seven to people in their 70s. And so a question's just occurred to me. Where did the horses come from? I think the horses came from all over the place and they picked me. A lot of my horses I've had probably... 10, 15, 20 years and so you know with sport horses once they become older some people will take them to the dog tucker like they'll just put them down or move them on whereas I've let them stay and have a lovely retirement doing therapy work. Oh it's really beautiful and I'd love if you could share as well how uh, Māori philosophy grounds your work with hearts. It means it's we're coming from a mind-body-spirit connection and working with wairua. And wairua is like the soul connection, which is an essential part of the being. And working with wairua, we can cut through the human mind chatter and get right into the core issues. So in New Zealand, we have something called the Treaty of Waitangi, so Te Tiratiti o Waitangi, which is about partnership. So the treaty, um, the principles of a partnership, which is us with the horses and being in nature, it's about participation. So their trauma is their journey and it's their own unique aspect of it, which is right for them and it's their experience. In protection, is about knowing, it's about compassionate inquiry, and it's about respecting them and valuing their journeys as individuals in a trusting therapeutic environment. And we're also looking at nurturing the indescribable light in a person, which is 
Akititititotitangata. That sounds really beautiful and really powerful. And I'd kind of really love to get into a bit more about how this nonverbal communication and this kind of deeper level of connection can help people in a different way to talking therapies and maybe what that might look like in a, in a setting, in a therapeutic setting. With the horses, it's always about what lies underneath. Like the horses don't read people's notes They're all about being in the moment and they're the ultimate in mindfulness. And they see the way, if you look at Dr. Temple Grandin, she talks a lot about pictures, you know, autistic people see things in pictures really clearly and that's how the horses see it. So every person that comes into the therapy session, into the paddock with us, They have their own narrative going on in the head and that's what the horses pick up on. And I know that you're not really about people riding the horses as such. So could you maybe describe the kind of interactions that people have with the horses? Obviously, that varies from person to person. We also work on a medicine wheel. So that's ancient knowledge and The horses actually showed it to me before anyone else, before I even read about it. So say a horse, there's a middle spot, which is the connection area. And if a horse, which is connection, so they have their normal horse names, but they have therapy names as well. So if the horse of connection is in the connection area, I know that that person is really wanting to be there. And then the medicine wheel starts as well. Well, it starts in the east. But we've also got part of the um, way that we've set it up is in the north is from the intergenerational elder area. So if I can see that the horses are working in the north, that means there's a lot of generational stuff going on. And the horses are healers in themselves. So they're clearing what it is. And the interaction with the people can be that, You know, the person might want to sit in the paddock with the horses. The person might want to be in the office. You know, it's up to the person to decide where it is that they want to be with the horses. It's their experience. Nice. And I'm just curious, how how did this all come about? Like, what was the inspiration of, of doing this work? Thank you. That's a great question. I've had horses for over 40 years And when I was a a kid, it was just my absolute joy to be with them, to be out in nature. That was just my happy bliss place. And then as I got older, it was still just, you know, where I wanted to be and where I was always happy. And working with people, like I was with sport horses and training people and things like that, I could always see it wasn't the horse's fault. It was with the people where there was stuckness like I know you guys are into yoga and if there's stuckness in the body there's stuckness in the mind and I could see just through traditional training that if there was stuckness with the person who was wanting to train their horse then that would come through the horse so I found a way what I was interested in doing is finding a way that I could work with that and I think one of the 
you know, when I was training people and coaching them, I was working with a lot of young people and the kids would always tell me like everything that was going on in their lives and the parents, you know, were always saying, Jenny, what was going on? And I didn't have a means to sort of sit down and collaborate. I didn't have the, you know, skills that I needed at the time. And it particularly, we were working with on Lord of the Rings. So there was an actor's son who came out and um, he might have been 10 at the time or something and we went out for a ride and we came back and we were looking after the horses and feeding them and he just told me in the feed room like what was really going on in his life, that his parents were getting a divorce and he was really unhappy and I didn't have the skills at the time. You know, I didn't know what to do with that, with that information because it was his little heart was breaking You know, I knew his dad, but I didn't want to say, hey, your son's just downloaded all this stuff, you know, and it might have been enough that he just talked about it, that he just told someone else. But, you know, I wanted to get more skills to be able to do that sort of situation better. And the other thing that's really, I love Aotearoa, it's a beautiful country, but we've got some really ugly stuff that happens in this country and what part of that is one in four people before the age of 16 have been sexually abused and I think it's one in five people you know violently you know abused sexually abused over once they become adults and it happens you know it's too regular it's too it's not normalized in this country but there's just stuff that's going on which shouldn't happen. And, you know, when, you know, children are abused from the age of three and, like, having a baby at 12 and all this sort of stuff, it's just not right. And that's one of the things that as I got older, I wanted to make a difference, you know, and I wanted to contribute in the way that I could. And it sounds like you already had this very natural connection to people like people wanted to open up to you and then you also had the connection with the horses which added another layer to that but I can see from your website that you have actually done a lot of formal training in the mental health field would you like to just share some of that other learning that you've taken on to help navigate this really hard situation you've just told us about thank you so I'm not a psychologist and The formal training was with a gala, so that's a modality from the States. A gala is equine assisted learning and growth. With that, they're probably one of the first organisations, I think they've been going for about 20 years now, who've put this model together, which is from the psychology perspective, the mental health perspective with the horse perspective. And it actually started again with horses. It was the guy who started it as a young person. He would not go to school and go and hang out with the horses. And he could tell every time someone was coming into the paddock exactly who it was by exactly what the horses did. And with the psychology part of it, it's like it's a science part. So from the science part, I know that when people are out in the paddock with the horses, for a start, like we're looking at the breathing, we're looking at the body, how they're acting with the horses, and the heart resonance, the energy from the heart will actually change what how the mind is working. So it's like putting 
the science aspect of it together so that it can help with the scientific community in terms of the psychology of it because that's where like with ACC which is Accident Corporation in New Zealand is we get funding through sensitive claims so going to psychology conferences and things like that it can help them understand what it is that we're doing you know I think when I started this process people thought like we just go out in the paddock and pat the horses but there's actually a therapeutic process that is happening and so when you like I've seen that you actually have gone all over the world speaking at different psychology conferences and I can imagine a lot of this is just about informing people that this kind of work exists and is an option for people have you generally got a pretty positive or at least curious response from the very mainstream medical community? Or do you find that you actually have to do a lot of groundwork before they're open to even hearing about what you do? No, we've actually had like great response. Going to Norway, they had done like their gala training and they were really, really open to it. Like they're working well in the modality. And when I went to Ireland, I'm not a royalist, but um, they had Princess Anne chose to come to my session, which is about 60 other sessions, you know, over that conference. So as well, she's like connected to horses. She knows those sort of people sit there and they get it because they know the horses. They know that the horses have an effect on them. And in terms of psychology, the psychologists actually get it really well because it's about um, projection, like they understand like the words that we're talking about and how it, and how the people are interacting. And it's been really positive. But it was also funny, the first time I went to Norway, I stopped off at France to see my cousin, who was a doctor, and his CV is amazing, the work that he's done. And he was really sweet. He said to me, Jenny, when you start doing these type of conferences, not everybody's going to like you. And it was good going in, like knowing that, because then, you know, if people want to be negative about a situation, it's good just to be able to deflect it and put it back on them. That was the way that I thought about if that sort of situation arises. But we've had really positive response. And in this country as well, going to psychology conferences, you know, they enjoy it. They love hearing about what the horses do. And also we're proving it in our results. Like trauma therapy on average has a 60% success rate and ours is sitting about 93% at the moment. So we're walking, we're talking the talk, but walking the walk as well. Wow, that's really amazing. So you're really changing people's lives in such a positive way with this work. And as well as the people who might have a trauma history, what kind of other mental health issues can hearts assist with? Uh, We do, we work with autism as well. So that's probably about 10% of our work, people with autism, Um, PTSD, anxiety disorders, clinical depression, and substance use disorder. So PTSD is about 46% of our work. Anxiety is 11%. Clinical depression, 15%. And substance use disorder is 10%. 
and 10% of our work is with suicidal clients and currently they're all still alive. So it's great. Oh, that's so amazing. And just hearing about all of the issues that people are dealing with when they come to you, I could imagine that there might be people who would have a lot of fear and anxiety just meeting the horses. And so I'd love to hear how you navigate that or if kind of like being with that uncertainty and moving through it is part of the process. Yeah, exactly. You're onto it. So that's exactly it. The uncertainty, if there's fear, there'll be fear in life. And we move them through the transition There was one lady that came in and she said, you know, I asked them at the beginning on the fear scale, I say, like, have you ever had anything to do with horses? And a lot of people have had very negative horse stories when they were children. So it might be that 10 is the worst fear that could happen. One lady said to me that she was sitting at a nine just to go into the paddock. And then if she actually had to touch the horse or do anything with the horse, then that would be, you know, a 10 or 11 beyond her comprehension. At the end of the first session, she was actually, she ended up picking up the horse's hoof. There was another lady and she was fearful of all animals, dogs, cats, anything. So we've got this horse who's about 17 two hands, which is about six foot. He weighs about 650 kgs. At the end of her session, she actually had the halter on him and she led him back to the paddock and gave him his feed. So the horses just transcend it. Like the horses I have are really safe to be with people. And, you know, the horses aren't running around trying to attack people or anything like that. That as soon as the person walks in, the horses are tuned to the energy, you know, and they're very, very respectful of people. And I know that you are also very dedicated to making sure that nothing bad happens to the horses and their welfare is, you know, really top priority. And I know that there are actually like a lot of abuses that happen to animals that happen to horses and like especially if they've come from, say, the racing industry, then, you know, there's a lot of violence in their lives. So I guess it's a two-part question as to whether you – have horses coming to you with past trauma and you work to rehabilitate them? And then also if there's anything that you kind of keep an eye on, like any red flags or any kind of practices that you have in place just to really ensure the horse's safety? Yeah. If they do have trauma, like one of my horses was a thoroughbred who came off the track. So in his heyday as a two-year-old, he had actually – been like the best two-year-old in this country and he was really well bred and then at five he was put out in the dog tucker paddock so he remembered that trauma and then he was one of our best trauma therapy horses because he would just instantly connect with people when they had that sort of trauma And one of the other horses, she's a mare. She's the only mother in our herd. And, you know, I don't need to read people's notes because if a lady comes in who's had incest when she was younger, if she's been raped, if she's been tortured, that horse just lies down and takes all of their stuff. You know, she just transmutes it and transmutes the energy. And she's done it every single time. Like the first lady that I saw her do it with, 
she wasn't even in the session. I had her out of the session because I was just working with one or two horses because of the extent of the trauma that these people had been through. And so she was on the outside fence and she was on a gravel spot. And this woman had been held hostage, raped and tortured. And this horse just sat down and just helped her move the energy through. Wow, it's so amazing to hear about these stories and about this kind of beyond verbal communication between the people that you're working with and the horses and how sensitively tuned in to people's energy the horses actually are. And I'm wondering if that you have an affinity to horses and you grew up with them and so they're obviously the choice for you. But are there other animals that do this type of work or are horses just particularly suited for it? I'm not an expert at other animals. I imagine you could do it with dogs. I've got a little dog and if someone's in a session and they cry, she always goes over to them and licks their tears. (laughs) With We've got friends around here, they're cow farmers and they always talk like, you know, in a cow herd, there's a particular distinction. I think, you know, sometimes we've just sat in the pet and the fantails come in as well. And, you know, because obviously we're in the country, there's all sorts of birds that come in. There might be a hawk that'll fly over. You know, I think any type of herd animal could probably do this work. It's just that people have had a long history with horses. And I think the horses have been studying us more so than we studied them. Before we go on, I just wanted to remind you that you can use our discount code MACFLOW, that's M-A-K-F-L-O-W, at markaloo.com to get 10% off your next purchase. You'll help support the podcast and a great sustainable Australian company. The Markaloo is a set of nesting domes on a wooden base that you can use for self-massage, stability and proprioceptive awareness. It's such a great portable and accessible tool that really opens up new movement possibilities and is a great addition to chair yoga or for anyone who loves self-massage. Check out the link in our show notes for all our Marklu resources, including free video classes. And I remember reading on your website that horses are like prey animals, so they kind of have this natural vigilance of their environment around them to help them stay safe and I can see how picking up on the energy of the person in their environment would be a, a um, safety mechanism to help them stay safe as they, you know, go through their horse lives. And that's kind of a negative because it's sad that they have to be that way. But it's really beautiful that you've tapped into that innate ability of kind of reading energy in people and really turned it into a positive, it sounds like, for the people and for the horses. Yeah, I think with. Our horses in the herd environment, they are sensitive beings, but they also, their brain doesn't work like our brain works. They don't hang on to stuff. So, you know, if there is a situation, an emergency situation, where they are feeling threatened, they just react to it and then it's over. You know, if people have an emergency situation, we react to it. And then a lot of people just keep it in their head and it just goes round and round and round. Horses aren't like that. So they're very much in the beingness of everything and just being, you know. 
the masters at being. Beautiful. And you know, you're you're working with a lot of people who who are going through trauma and, and I'm just curious, do you have any self-care practices for yourself to make sure that, you know, you're you're at the best place to be you know, offering people this help? What I do is I work with clients two days a week and that's enough because with some of the stuff that comes in, you know, rape, torture, abuse out of 10, you know, if the scale was 10, some of our clients sit at a good 11 because it's sort of, you know, it's for some things I just think it's beyond my human comprehension how families can, you know, let their child be raped over and over again. Some stuff I actually just can't comprehend. And I, so that means I only work two days with people and three days I'm working with the horses and with that we're just out in nature. You know, we've got this, uh, we live on the coast and we've got this amazing beach that we can go and just defrag, blow the cobwebs out. We also, where we live is right in the hills so we can just go up into the hills as well. I keep myself really, really balanced. You know, obviously eat good food, drink water, meditate, do yoga, do all that sort of stuff, jump into water as much as I can. Like I know that I have to stay in a really good place to be able to work with these people. I could imagine as well just hearing some of the things that you've shared with us today, like you must want to break from people sometimes, like not the people that you're working with, but just everything that you hear about society, I can see why you'd want to just take a break from that and go to the beach and go for the hills and be in nature and just, like you're saying, defrag and recalibrate and reconnect with the beautiful aspect of life when you're hearing so much about the really traumatic aspects. Yeah, definitely. In lockdown, a lot of people don't enjoy it and I absolutely sympathise with them but we're in lockdown. I'm in my bubble at home. We live on a farm. Basically, our driveway, everyone comes down the driveway and goes, there's fairies in that driveway. Like it's just a magical place where I live. It's all greenery. And then we set up our other property down the road. And again, that's just another magical place. People get there and they go, there's something about this property. So when I'm like in my bubbles, I go from this property down to the other property. And, you know, I just, I am a sensitive being as well. And, you know, if I get out of tune, if I get tired, if I eat the wrong food, you know, like I get out of whack. So to do this work and to be, um, you know, really present for people, is that I have to make sure that I'm in tune. And, yeah, I just, even sometimes like hanging out with my friend's children, you know, and just seeing the joy, you know, when kids play and, you know, I'm really, really mindful about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And with that mindfulness, you did mention that um, you do do a bit of yoga practice and we're yoga teachers as well and all of our listeners are. I'd love it if you could explore a little bit more about some of the similarities that you feel in your own yoga practice and in the work that you do with the horses and then some of the things that are really different and really distinct between those two practices. I think, you know, what I think about is, is getting out of my mind I think that's one of the biggest things is doing 
you know, when you do yoga, you're moving into a different consciousness and you're moving into the attunement with your body. You know, you're like, where am I feeling stuck? And that's it's very similar to what we're doing when we're working with people with the horses as we're getting them to work into their bodies, into the feeling, into the somatic process because it's on the cellular level, which is what you're doing with yoga as well, that you are wanting change in the body. You know, you're wanting the cellular structure to be different and that's connecting into a different consciousness as well. So that was a beautiful explanation of the similarities between the two practices. And I'm wondering if there's anything that's really unique to working with the horses that you just don't get in your own solo practice on your mash. Definitely. It's a collected consciousness of everything. In Māori, we call it kotahitanga. So when you work in a herd environment, there's a whole different feeling from just being by yourself because all of the entities are all conscious entities as well. So if you're by yourself, you know, you might be thinking about something that's going on or some situation. So it's just you there thinking about it. When you're with the horses, they're helping with the thinking. They're helping with the sharing. They're helping with the moving of the energy. Beautiful. And I could imagine that a lot of the people who, when they first come to you especially, might be feeling quite lonely and quite isolated and like they don't have that herd to connect with. Is that also part of the process? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people, you come and they actually just cry and because it's a felt experience. And with trauma, particularly with incest or any sort of sexual abuse, it's like people get cut off energetically at the neck and they come into this environment where there's so much feeling, you know, and it's like this reconnection to themselves that they haven't experienced for such a long time. And is this something that you just see in people's bodies and in their energy or is it something that people kind of share with you like do people talk a lot about their experiences or is it kind of a bit more non-verbal in a felt sense well it's definitely more non-verbal the the modality the way that we try and work it is that it should be 90 percent working with the horses and 10 percent talking the most beautiful experiences when people just meditate with the horses and you know they might come out of the meditation after an hour or something and like the horses are all gathered around them there was a guy once um, a medical professional so very articulate and who he is and how he is and a lot of stuff had gone on in his life which wasn't positive for him and at the same time we had the psychiatrist with us visiting looking at our work and how we did what we did and his wife was there as well and so you know no pressure but we sort of (laughs) did feel the pressure and we you know came up with all these amazing strategies of what we were going to do and how we were going to do it and blah 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 you know and he went into the paddock and he stood with this horse this big 650 kg horse in the middle of the like in the connection area this horse is his qualities, his strength. Um, he sort of is a more masculine horse. He was a stallion once. And he embodies everything in a, in a masculine way, in a positive way, in a really beautiful way. 
So this guy, he was a doctor, he stood with this horse and each, which we found out afterwards, each leg of the horse was something that he meditated on. So if you were standing watching, which we were doing, he was just standing there looking at the horse's legs, but he was in this meditative process with the horse and the horse was helping him to move through what it is that was going on in his mind. And we went over a couple of times because, you know, we had all these strategies and things that we think that he could do and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he was such, you know, he was really onto it as a person and what he did and how he could um, process his own information. He didn't really need us there, you know. And he walked out to the gate and he went, oh, wow, that was amazing. How does it work? (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. I could imagine as well that probably by the time people come to you, they already have a social worker and maybe a psychologist and a team that they do the talking stuff with. And so you can really provide the stuff beyond the talking. Yeah, that's some people come to us, they might have been working with their psychologist for two years. And, you know, these are good psychologists. These are people that really know their work. But they get to a certain point and they can't go forward with them anymore. We had one guy who was a veteran for the Vietnam War and he got stuck on three different issues, which was killing people, the people that he'd killed and an orphanage that had been bombed when he was over in Vietnam. And the way that it manifested in his life is... You know, he had come back from the war, just got on with it, been a good citizen, been a father, you know, he was married, he ended up being a cop. And then when they said to him about, you know, with all the veterans in New Zealand, that they were going to honour them, that's when he broke down. And the way that he broke down was that he was really depressed, he had huge anxiety, couldn't go to work anymore. And if a car backfired, he would end up on the pavement just sobbing in the fetal position. He couldn't sleep at night. And then when he did go to sleep, he was having these really bad dreams and ended up hitting his wife in his sleep. So we had worked with a psychologist for two years. He ended up coming up to us. We did pretty much a two-hour session with him in the paddock. And we have, it's called an acceptance alley. And looking at the particular situation that was an obstacle and moving it into the acceptance part of your mind. So it's working with the body, getting in tune with the body, working with the horses, and then allowing their minds to go to a different place where they can actually process the information in a different way. And do you find that people come to you and kind of have a session like that and then can kind of move forward from there with a different relationship to their past trauma or do people keep coming and this just becomes part of their life and it becomes an ongoing process of healing? So like I'm just wondering kind of how the timeframe of this type of therapy works or if it's just really different for everyone. The answer is yes to both of the questions. So in the first 10 years, we pretty much did on average seven sessions with each person and then after and between the last two to three years we've been doing more long-term therapy 
And that's, you know, like we talk about people being like an onion and there's different layers. And these are people that have had more extreme trauma. So people, we had a family that had been through paramilitary killings, basically. Um, The dad had died and the mum, they'd taken her hostage and, you know, she had been made to be a prostitute and then they wouldn't feed her children unless she did perform what they wanted her to do. You know, there was another lady, she was basically being raped, tortured, just abused emotionally, mentally, everything from the time that she was three. And then so those sort of people, you know, quite often get into, you know, they might be three when it happened, they might leave home at 15 or whatever, but for the next 10, 20, 30 years of their life, they just do drugs, alcohol, there's just a whole pattern that goes on. So when we get them at that older age, then we have to just unpack it slowly and we unpack it at their stage. So it might be like with one lady, we've been working with her for nearly three years But because of the chaos in her life, we don't see it every week. You know, sometimes it might be some sort of gang-related thing that she's got into. So it might be that she ended up in hospital and then we don't see her for two months. So we don't work with them continuously. Normally, on average, someone like that would be sort of two years. Like we've got another lady, she was in her 20s. The abuse happened when she was young. But because she had a really good family and stable environment, we worked with her for two years and now like she'll be, we call it like the warrant of fitness. So she might come in every six months if she's got some sort of issue going on. And just for people who don't live in New Zealand, the warrant of fitness is like what you do with your car in New Zealand, yeah, right? Just sorry. to like check it out and make sure everything's working. <laughs> I thought about that and thought, do they know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> do, do they call it roadworthy here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah roadworthy. Make sure you're still roadworthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious, how how do people, I guess, find out about you? Or how, how do they, is it a referral process? How, how does that work? You can Google me. If you do Google Jenny Horse Therapy Otaki, you'll find me. A lot of it is just word of mouth. and. There's also, you know, we've obviously gone around psychology conferences and things like that. Our psychologist is registered with ACC, so they know the work that we're doing. You know, with psychology, there's always like a team of people. So there's all different sorts of ways that people come through. I just did a um, Zooey yesterday. So a Zooey is Zoom and a Hui. So a Hui is a meeting. So therefore, they combine it and they call it a Zooey. And there were 30 people on that. So, you know, I just did the conference, you know, to put the information out there. And of the people that were in the room with me, there's probably like I got five queries from that saying, hey, I've got someone in Christchurch that wants to. I'm up in Auckland. I want to come, blah, 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 blah. So there's all different ways that um, people come through. It's not just a one-step process. But we also have a full client list most of the time. And that just occurred to me because from what you're saying, just for your own rhythms and your own self-care, like you can only do this type of work two days a week with the people because it's so intense. 
have you got to the point where you're having to waitlist people or even turn people away because you're you're at capacity or like is there future plans to help things grow so that more people can access this powerful work? Yeah, there's lots of different plans. So what we want to do is where um, we've got this other property is turn it into a training centre. So we've got future buildings that we want to do with that. Obviously, I want to help other people. We've already, I think I've trained people from five different continents. So there's sort of people around the world doing what we're doing. And But the other thing is like trauma isn't for everybody. You know, some of the people who do like you call it equine therapy, people that do equine therapy is normally sort of a more moderate level so we've particularly specialized in trauma because you know I like difficult stuff and I like (laughs) I just like it to be interesting you know it's like yeah I like to get to the deep nitty-gritty stuff and help unpack it and also because you know I can sit with people in in a very authentic way and help them energetically as well through stuff we were doing a meditation with this lady she's a new client and she said to me, we're doing some meditation. And I can see I'm really visual and I can really pick up on in people's energy in a visual way. So I can see the pictures that are in their head. And she said to me, she said, how did you do that? Like, you could see everything. And I was like, yeah, I'm just like the horses. You know, that's just how I work. But because I can do that, I can tune into them on an energy level. And like that can really, because I'm sharing the channel type of thing. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, and and we know that you've also got some creative and media projects in the works. Would you like to talk about those? So after, you know, looking at the way humanity is and, you know, looking to the future and what's really needed and how we can make this bigger is to, we're working, we did a short film which is called Fitty. And it's about a guy that uh, through COVID, he basically just loses his mind type of thing because all this other stuff that he's been suppressing comes out. And then he connects with me and the horses. And then, so it was only, I think, 15 minutes that we did that one. And then how he connects with the horses. And so the end of it was that he's starting to, it's just the beginning of his story, basically. And then with that film, it won the Māori Land Film Festival, the short film festival here. And then overseas, it's won award in New York, I think. Then the one in Cannes, and it's won yeah, quite a few different international awards. With that, we just did a meeting the other day. So hopefully we're turning that into a mini-series, a television mini-series. And then it'll be how Fitty goes through all these different meets, all these different people along the way and his healing journey. But the healing journey is actually, it's real because, you know, he's going to come into, this is where we work with the Māori aspect of it. He's going to meet all these different people and then he's going to have some sort of healing through it. And it's, you know, what I feel is really needed in the world at the moment. In the Western society, You know, it's all about the external that's going to make you happy. And, you know, it's nice if you've got a nice house and a nice car and all that sort of thing. You can afford that stuff. But, 
you know, Western society doesn't talk about the internal and it's the internal dialogue, it's the internal self is where we find our own real happiness and our own real bliss. That's so beautiful to be sharing that message in such an accessible way, like on TV. So there might be people watching who have those things, they have the house, they have the job, they have the external success and still feel empty inside to be able to kind of express that inner journey sounds really powerful and really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. I actually had a mentor, her name was Waitora Morgan. So she was an older Māori lady and she had done a lot of teaching in, throughout Europe and she said, you know, a lot of people came to her classes, you know, and it's like this tick list that we are meant to get. You know, we go to a good school, we get a good education, get a degree, you know, have a relationship, get married. It's like this tick box, you know, tick, 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 tick. And so many people, you know, they're not happy. They're just not fulfilled on the sort of soul level. And I know for me, like I'm here on a soul journey. So it's a different experience what I want out of life. Fair enough. And um, you, you mentioned it earlier, but would you like to talk a little bit about your time spent filming with Lord of the Rings? I think part of that process of that journey was working with creative people. And when they did Lord of the Rings, I think at the end of the first film, they weren't sure if they were going to get enough money to actually finish it. And I think part of that was... You know, everyone in this country, you know, that was working on the film, like, I'm pretty sure people would have just kept going, if, whether they got paid or not, just to finish it. You know, max out the credit card, added to the mortgage, whatever, because it was just this different feeling on this movie. And I think that feeling came through in the actual movies as well. And it was, you know, just working with creatives and people that really, really want to be there and really good at what they do and really enthusiastic about it rather than, you know, I started life as an accountant and, um, you know, not many people are that enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was a difference now. And also we um, worked with our friends so, you know, we live in a little country town and it was most of our friends were on board. So we were just traveling around the country, working with horses and working with our friends. So, you know, it was a really, really positive experience. And also just meeting, like, you know, meeting Peter Jackson. He's an amazing guy. The guy Taylor, you know, they're just like these creative, you know, what they did for this country and for the film industry in New Zealand has been amazing. Beautiful. Well, um, we've just got one more question. We, we ask it at the end of all of our conversations. And I guess the question is, if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach and share down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? I think in transcending language, we have the ability to become part of another consciousness. It's another part of ourselves that we don't always give time to. It's a different way of being, and it's a felt experience on a somatic level. 
Wow. Thank you so much, Jenny. That's really beautiful and a really beautiful summary of the depth and the power of the work that you do that really goes beyond the verbal experience into that deep felt sense and connection. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today and everything that you do in the world. It's been really awesome hearing about it and hearing about your future plans as well to take it beyond a little town in the hills out to the world because it's very needed everywhere, I think. Yeah, thank you. Healing is about doing and, you know, we can't think our way out of the sort of process of healing, particularly with trauma, because the mind just keeps going, plays the game of going round and round and round. And when we're coming at it from a um, cognitive perspective, it's never going to shift. And the best... You know, we are our own best healer and we are the best person to navigate that healing. You know, we provide the environment, but it's actually them and their journey, which is the healing process. And, you know, the people that come to us, you know, they are my heroes because I look at, you know, what they've done and what they've been through And I just think, wow, you know, and then to help them through the other side of it is just such, it's just humbling to do that with people. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you again. And thank you for all this amazing work that you're doing. Well, thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jenny. She's doing some really important work and it was great getting the chance to speak with her. If you'd like to send us any comments or feedback, you can via our website, it's podcast.flowartist.com or you can find Jo and myself on Instagram. She's Garden of Yoga and I'm Ran Loves Yoga. Come and say hi. We're just going to have one more episode before the end of the year. This last year has gone so quickly, hasn't it? So this is just going to be a conversation between Jo and myself offering a little bit of a catch up about our 2021. I hope you can join us. Our theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and is used with permission. Check out ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your precious time with us here. Aroha nui, maua kia koutou katoa. Big, big love. Love.